the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. The good thing about this practice is I see a lot of law firms from the inside, and they're all different. It's really interesting to see how they set up you know, comp structures, or, you know, partners and, and associates and, and others in the firm. And, and it's, you know, it's also interesting to see the different types of lawyers. So I've represented PI attorneys, insurance defense firms, real estate closing firms, you name it. And they all, you know, there are a lot of different business models that work and there's a lot of lawyers that are doing pretty well in a lot of different ways you know from the advertisers to the you know the pure referral based practices you know there's lots of different ways to do it the key thing is you just got to stick with it run your law firm the right way the right way this is the maximum lawyer podcast your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mudrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, you know, we've always talked about our big following that we have in Cleveland, Ohio, thanks in large part to our buddy Will Eady and Will Norman. But we also seem to have quite the following down in Georgia. And today we have a very interesting guest, a lawyer for lawyers. His name is Jonathan Hawkins. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, Jonathan. So I got the really detailed message that you sent to Jim talking about what you do. So tell people what it is exactly that you do do and how you got to that point. Uh, So I guess the short answer is I'm a business lawyer for lawyers. So I represent lawyers and law firms from formation of the law firm all the way to disillusion and everything in between. So we can get to the details, but basically any business related issue that a a lawyer or law firm would encounter, I, I help them with that. I've got really three types of clients, lawyer clients. So I serve as outside general counsel for a number of uh, larger, high-volume sort of PI firms here in Atlanta. And, you know, they've got hundreds of employees, got employment issues, got ethics issues, got conflict issues, trademark issues, all sorts of things that come up just running the firm. And so I represent those types of clients. And then um, another type is... Um, it's just sort of project-based engagement. So 
two partners or two two lawyers come together to form a partnership. I help them, you know, talk through the issues, set up the, the partnership, get the governance documents drafted, that sort of thing. You know, I call those really prenups because, you know, we're building the, the agreement for the day when the two attorneys may break up. And we really want to set out the process for what's going to happen. So that's a very important document, in my opinion, that all law firms should have if you have partners. And then the other sort of area, I had all sorts of relationship documents, you know, partners, associates, uh, you name it, uh, co-counsel, and that sort of thing. And then the other group of clients is really when law firms break up, and that's more of a litigation trial practice. And that's really how I got into all of this. I grew up as a business litigator doing business divorces of, of other types and then started doing law firm breakups. And there's all sorts of weird issues that are peculiar to lawyers that aren't really issues for other businesses. And through the work of seeing a lot of the fights, I started saying, hey, why don't we draft these agreements to, to help minimize or avoid a lot of these fights? So that's really how I got into the transactional piece of it. And then just through doing it a bunch and just talking to a lot of lawyers, I started getting more and more clients and handling different aspects of, of the law firm practice. So. I will say there's two things I do not do, and that's uh, like bar grievance work or legal malpractice. You know, hopefully I help avoid that, but if it gets into that, I'll let the, the uh, experts handle that part. Jonathan, how did you get into representing lawyers, and what have you learned watching lawyers practice that you think our listeners should know? Maybe the, the more successful lawyers, what are the things that you've noticed? Well, it's interesting how I got into it. I mean, this is just truly a bootstrap practice. So my dad is an attorney down in Alabama, and he he had handled a number of law firm breakups and, and in a smaller town. And he said, you know, I've done a lot of these in a short amount of time. You're in a bigger city, Atlanta. There's got to be tons of these. You may want to look into it. And so I, I literally just I bought a bunch of treatises, read them, started reading law review articles, cases, just immersed myself in it. I started to write a book. I thought I was going to write a book, and that really forced me to learn it. And then I just started talking to everybody about it and, you know, got a lot of lawyer friends, and they started asking me for help, so helping them, and it just slowly grew. I probably started about eight years ago, and now that's that's all I do. The good thing about this practice is I see a lot of law firms from the inside, and they're all different. It's really interesting to see how they set up, you know, comp structures or, you know, partners and, and associates and, and others in the firm. And, and it's, you know, it's also interesting to see the different types of lawyers. So I've represented PI attorneys, insurance defense firms, real estate closing firms, you name it. And they all, you know, there are a lot of different business models that work. And there's a lot of lawyers that are doing pretty well in a lot of different ways you know, from the advertisers to, the, you know, the pure referral-based practices, you know, there's lots of different ways to do it. The key thing is you just got to stick with it. I have a number of clients that literally drove to Atlanta with nothing but a car and a law license. They didn't know anybody here. They had no experience in Atlanta, and they built their practices, and, and they're very successful now just through sheer hard work and determination. 
so Jonathan, what is what does your ideal client look like, and, and how did you come to determine what that client looks like? You know, it's it's really I have two ideal clients. One is sort of the the big firm in the sense that it's um, a big operation. It's usually one or a handful of owners with a lot of employees. So the high volume personal injury firm, a high volume uh, residential real estate closing firm, anything that's high volume that you have a lot of staff and you just have a lot of issues. That's the first type. Uh, the other is, you know, solo or small firm attorneys that, you know, really they're forming their firm or they're breaking up or they've had an issue. It's really, those are more project-based engagements. You know, they're, they're typically not big enough to where they have, you know, issues every month. So those are the two main types of clients. I'd say, you know, the big national, international firms, those are not my clients. They've got their own in-house folks. They've got, you know, thousands of lawyers. They know what they're doing. They're not really the type of client that comes to me. All right. So you reached out to us, Jonathan, because you had stumbled across our podcast. I was wondering how you first learned of the podcast and then what are some things that you might be struggling with or something that we could help you with? I love podcasts. I just, I love them. And I can't remember how it came across yours, but you know, I listen to a lot of business podcasts, legal podcasts. At one point I, I wanted to do a podcast and then I came across y'all's podcast and, and, you know, after listening to y'all, that this is the podcast I would want to make. You guys were already making it. So, you know, I'm a big fan of Dean Jackson and that crew. And so I liked a lot of things you guys were saying early on and, and it, I got hooked. And so, you know, I, I recommend your, your podcast to a lot of folks around here. So um, I just think you guys are doing a great job. You know, I'm trying to build a team. And so that, you know, I think building a firm is not easy. You know, you got to find the right people for the right, positions and you got to get them worked in um so that's something i'm I'm working on now another thing i'm really trying to perfect is, is a subscription model i don't like billing by the hour as best i can i try not to and you know i think this practice is scalable and i think a good way to do it would be through a subscription model and i'm trying to figure out you know i talked to a lot of lawyers about it and a common response I get is, why would I pay for a subscription every month when I can just call you and pay for you then? And so, you know, trying to put together the value proposition for lawyers, you know, providing something they'd want to pay for every month. That's really my focus for this year. So any, any suggestions you guys have, I'd love to hear them. Jimmy, this sounds a lot like the conversation we had a few years ago with Joey Vitale before he launched his subscription-based model, which I think is doing pretty well. It has nothing to do with what the advice Jim and I gave. It's all Joey. So at some point, you need to reach out to Joey Vitale. But I I think what we need to do is probably chisel down a little bit more uh, on what you're wanting to provide. So what do you envision would be under that umbrella for that subscription model and then what levels would you provide so one part would be just you know they can pick up the phone send me an email whatever for any issue at any time and just call me that'd be part of the subscription you know a common issue is conflicts you know potential conflicts 
you know, ethics issues that just come up in, in a lawyer's day-to-day practice, that would be something I think would be included in subscription. Another piece that I, I'm sort of thinking about is, you know, when, when a lawyer or when lawyers start a firm, you know, there's a few things you really need to do at the beginning. Once those are done, there's some things you sort of need to do later. And then as the firm grows, there's there's different things. So, you know, I provide a, a stack of services, but law firms don't need them all at once. And so toying with the idea of, you know, creating basically sort of a, a program where, you know, you come in the first first quarter, we do X for your firm. And then the next quarter, we implement some other things that you need for your firm and just sort of go through the process. That way, you know, a lot of lawyers, we're busy. And so, you know, if I went to them with a, a list of 15 things they need to do, that's going to probably scare them off. So it'd probably be better to, to sort of spread those out anyway. What do you guys think? I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to this pop-up episode that we posted over the weekend. I interviewed Jess Birkin. I was down at Lawyer Forward with Mike Whalen last week. And Jess is a attorney for nonprofits in Minnesota. She does nonprofits all over the country, but she has an interesting subscription model and an info product. So I think that maybe what you could do, if you're always doing sort of the same thing for startups, maybe you could just say, how could I systematize that? How could I productize it, make it into a package? If you're doing the same thing every time, maybe walk people through that. And that's sort of one thing. What she does is she she tried to sell that as a standalone product, but it didn't really work. It didn't really take off because she couldn't find the people that were wanting something like that. So what she did was she made it an upsell on people that scheduled a consultation. So she sends them through this, I think it's like a 90-minute set of videos, and they educate themselves before they come to the consult, and they pay an extra, I think it was two or $300 for that over the regular consult fee. That, that might be one thing. And then with the subscription model, she has all these nonprofits that she, when she meets with a new nonprofit, she offers them the subscription model or the flat fee. and she said that since she started offering that, that no one has chosen the pay-as-you-go. Everyone has gone for the subscription model. So you might want to check out that episode. You might want to talk to her about that. Yeah, I did hear that episode. I thought it was. I thought that was a good episode, and uh, I did take some notes from that. But I think those are some good ideas for sure. So I, I was trying to think about this too. So this is the sort of piggyback off what Jim's talking about, but a little bit different. It almost sounds like is kind of like coaching in a way, but there's also other stuff involved in it that, that you'd need to provide for them. You could do something like Lee Rosen does. Lee Rosen has this everything behind a paywall where it's a subscription-based model, and you go through and you can watch videos, and you have access to forms and information. So you could create kind of what Jim's talking about and then put it behind a paywall where they can have access to all this stuff on a regular basis, and you can continually add content to it which would also kind of satisfy your desire to, to want to do your podcast at some point. You could do a variation of that behind that paywall. And so if you haven't seen what Lee Rosen offers, you should, you should check that out as well. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a good idea too. That comes back to my uh, first uh, issue that's, uh, you know, getting a team together. I mean, you guys probably have have encountered this over the years. It's just a lot of ideas, a lot of things to do, but just not enough bandwidth to do them all. I mean, have you mapped out your processes from start to finish on, on every single thing that you do? Not everything, but I, I've I've gone through a lot of it, but I hadn't hadn't gone through everything. I need to do that. 
what's holding you back from building your team? What is the, is it financial? Is it, is it not wanting to let go of all the work? I mean, what are some things that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing that you could have someone else either outsource it to or bring someone in-house? So I, I just started, uh, have a part-time attorney starting, I guess, last Friday. She's been doing some work for me, but she's sort of come on uh, full-time, part-time now. So that that's helpful. I've worked with her before. She's a great attorney. So there's uh, trust there. So I have no problem handing stuff to her. You know, the big issue I've seen. So, you know, I grew up uh, a business litigator, trial attorney. And so I still do a decent amount of that for, for law firms in a variety of contexts. But um, between you and me, I'd rather work on the business and not be in court and be beholden to, you know, judges and their schedule. And finding a part-time litigator is just it's hard, you know, they'll write briefs and do research projects. But the second you start asking a part-time person to sign pleadings and go to court, go to depositions, it's just, they're just hard to find. So that, that's my biggest challenge right now, finding a, a part-time litigator. So I, I don't, I, maybe I'm confused here. Cause I mean, the entire time that we've been talking, I didn't really perceive your, what you do is litigation stuff. Um, so is there a large litigation component to what you do? It's not large, but here's where it happens. Tyson, you you know, you have a partner and, you know, you guys have uh, a couple of uh, million dollar fee cases and that you, you guys decide to break up and you're fighting over those cases. They're worth fighting over. And so each side goes and hires their attorney and lawsuits are filed. And there's all sorts of allegations of breach of fiduciary duty and stealing clients and this, that, and the other. So that that is a, a piece of my practice. So why don't you farm that part out? I don't understand why you don't, because it doesn't seem like that's what you want to do. Why don't you farm that out to another firm? Well, that's an idea. That's an idea. Yeah, especially if that's what you don't want to be doing. If you don't want to be doing that, then then that seems like a good call. Now, one thing that I've noticed and that Amani, my wife, and I have been talking around here lately is, you know, we've farted around with part-time paralegals and part-time lawyers, and those people certainly have their roles, but there's really no substitute to having someone in your office five days a week. It's just a fundamentally different mindset. They're more available, especially if they're going to be doing courtroom stuff. I just think that you might want to think about going all in and getting a, a full-time lawyer. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so I guess a couple of things. I think you can free up your time to do the things you want to do by jettisoning the, the litigation stuff, just get rid of it, farm it out and come up. I'm sure you know many trial lawyers out there that are willing to do it and they'll do it for, usually at that point, they'll, they'll do it for less than what they would normally charge because you know, a lot of the work has already been done by you. So all the pre-litigation stuff you can do, farm it out, farm the litigation stuff out and you know, come, get, have some partnership with another firm or a couple other firms, get that stuff out. And then the other stuff is, I mean, I don't know. I'm not so sure you need a, a lawyer. I mean, you can bring in a, a paralegal or a legal assistant to come in and do a lot of this stuff. I also think you sort of need a plan. I'm not sure you have much of a plan in place to implement some of this stuff. So I think you've got some really good ideas, a lot to go off of. But I think you need to sort of build that part out first. Maybe you start with some virtual assistants. Some of the, like, some of the subscription stuff, you, you're, not, you're not needing legal help. You're needing, like support staff to help build that stuff out. So go on Upwork and have someone build out a site or whatever you want to do for the subscription-based model. 
you need the payment system, however you're going to take the payments, you need to get all that stuff set up. Once you get the bones set up, I, I think it's a pretty simple thing from there. It just kind of fall into place. And you can, I think you can automate a lot of what you're wanting to do. And what I mean by that is a lot of it sounds like it's guidance and not necessarily sitting down and drafting documents. Some of it is. But I think if you were to just give them that basic guidance via video that they can access it on demand, I think that's going to free up a lot of your time to do the do a lot of the more time intensive stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the other issue I found, you know, most lawyers either don't think they need the help or don't realize they need the help. So that's another issue is educating and communicating sort of the value proposition in the first place. Let's talk about that. Yeah, because, you know, my the hairs on the back of my neck start to stand up when people start talking about situations where they're trying to sell something that people don't understand or know that they that they need. And so, you know, Tyson and I were in a mastermind group here in St. Louis back in the day with our friend Anthony, and he had a business that he banged his head on the wall trying to convince people that they needed what he had to sell. And I think that anytime you're in that kind of a scenario, you're really setting yourself up for a lot of uh, headaches. And I'm just wondering if you could drill down a little bit on on what it is that you're solving what solution you're offering and then figuring out a way to find the people who need that. I don't think you want to say every lawyer needs me and they just don't know it. I think that's a real dangerous trap. I think you need to really be specific and say, this is the problem that I solve. This is how I solve it. This is how I can take you from point A where you're in discomfort to point B where you're feeling much safer and, and then, figure out who are the people that find themselves at point A. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Let me give you an example. So especially in the, the personal injury realm. So I don't know how it is out there, but I figure it's probably similar. So what we see around here is, you know, you have an established attorney or firm. They bring in a, a young associate, that attorney, you know, gains experience, gets to know clients and then decides they want to leave. And they leave and, and inevitably uh, some clients go with them. And so there, you know, you can't have non-competes with lawyers. Clients always get to choose uh, who they go with. But there are agreements you can put in place and certain provisions you put in place that you can't prevent it, but you can slow the process down, give the law firm owner time to react, perhaps salvage the cases, et cetera. And worst case scenario, if the case leaves, you've got an agreed upon fee split in place that's enforceable. You know, otherwise you're you're sort of yeah, an attorney lien, you're you're fighting about what the value, the quantum merit value that the old firm put into the case, et cetera. And there are ways to do it that are ethically permissible, they're enforceable in in a courtroom, et cetera. And there are also ways that I've seen attorneys try to do it that are just completely unenforceable on their face. So that is a situation that when I talk to lawyers about it, they immediately realize, yes, that's something I need. Or that's something I want. So I do a lot of agreements, you know, between attorneys. And that, that's, that's a problem that's out there that a lot of people don't, I think, maybe don't realize. But once I've talked to them about it, they all want it. So... What do you think? So, so Jonathan, you you like the you like Dean Jackson and Joe Polish, and I'm I'm assuming you've listened. I love marketing, and 
very, very early on in their podcast, they talked about the, I, I can't remember what they call it, the eight principles or so, of something, but it's basically the entire process of, of, of getting a client, keeping a client, educating clients. And the biggest thing that they talked about that is educating the potential client until they are ready to contact you. It is a bedrock principle for marketing, basically, what it is. So my question is, how can that's really what you just said? I thought was really freaking interesting because I had, I've had three conversations in the last two weeks with three different lawyers about hiring associates and how difficult it is because, especially in PI, what you do is you you train them up, you get them ready to go and to, to help your clients, and at that very moment is whenever they're ready to bail. So it's a it's a very very big problem. So my question to you is this: How are you educating lawyers? So that whenever they're they're in that position or they need you, that they're ready to call you. So right now it's in person, you know, lunches, uh, drinks, breakfast, that sort of thing. Occasionally I'll do a you know sort of a CLE type talk. I do have an email list that I you know send out periodic emails on various topics. You know, I try to you know my website has a little bit on there about it. But other than that, that's pretty much all I do. And I'll say this, you know, I have enough former and current lawyer clients out there that have sort of experienced it, that they're, they're spreading the word out there as well. All right. So I think you might have a hard time getting back to your podcast idea. I think you might have a hard time getting lawyers to come on and talk about their uh, foibles or mistakes or the ways that their law firm broke up and they wish they'd used you. So I think that might make hard for for a hard podcast, but I wonder if I wonder if you couldn't do a different kind of podcast, maybe like Serial or this one I'm listening to now by my favorite crime author Michael Conley called Murder Book, where it's not so much an interview format, but more like a telling a story. And I wonder if you couldn't just pick reported cases and make a podcast out of train wreck dissolutions between lawyers or, you know, just stories that would fit in your practice area that people would find interesting. I'm thinking like a 10 or a 15 minute episode where it's just you and you just sort of tell the story of, of what happened. And I think that might be a way to raise awareness. That's a really good idea, Jim. Uh, that's, that's a good idea because that, that gives it context. It gives it, you know, characters. I think that's something that people would, would relate to. Your expertise would come through, you know, it's not like, Every time you're just saying, this is what I do, I'm such a great lawyer. But just when you put your own spin on it, you know, you present the story, you talk about maybe how they might have done this differently or that differently. Or, or I mean, I would find that interesting. I'd like to hear about ways that people make mistakes or ways that I can avoid making mistakes. I mean, I tell you, we've got a, a daily legal newspaper here in Atlanta that they love to publish those kind of stories. And the lawyers that are involved probably do not like those stories being published, but everybody likes to read them. And I think you could also, I mean, Jimmy, don't you think you, he could interview the attorneys that represent the attorney in, in those situations? So you, you get a reported case, um, you start to develop the story, and then you reach out to the attorneys that represent them and, and to interview them so they can give a little bit more context into what happened. Yeah, and there'd be a total side benefit to that, too, is you'd be introducing yourself to lots of new attorneys who could refer you business, and they could, you know, the lawyers who are defending those kinds of lawsuits, I would think would be the, the right kind of people that you'd want to know, because they're going to have conflict work or feeder work. I know you don't want to get involved in that same 
those same types of litigation scenarios. But I think that it'd be a real symbiotic relationship and people love to talk about themselves and their cases, especially lawyers. So I think that'd be a great byproduct as well. Yeah. Um, warming up this. I like this idea. Ah, nice. I think the idea in general, whether you do that or not, I think you just need to have some sort of content model because you don't have a content model. I know you said, you said, you know, I meet with lawyers and I periodically do this. I, that just means that you're not doing it. I mean, Listen, if I'm sitting down to have lunch with you or talk to you and you're telling me about your business uh, the entire time, I'm going to get annoyed and, and bored with it. So my guess is you're not going to be able to do it one person at a time, especially if you're trying to build a subscription model. If you're trying to build a subscription model, you need to produce content of some form. So whether you do it via video, whether you do it via podcast, or whatever it is, I think you just need to produce content. So I think your next steps need to be, okay, what what what's my content channel going to be? How am I going to produce it? Just start doing it. And then everything else is going to fall into place. Once you've got, you know, your payment systems down and you have the people in place and all that, it'll, it'll all start together. So let me ask this, Jim, your, your idea there about sort of basically case studies. What about, you know, sending, you know, maybe a couple emails a month and there's a featured case study. Would that be annoying to you getting that in your inbox or would that be something you'd be interested in reading? No, and that reminds me sort of of the emails that I get from our buddy Wayne, who, Wayne um, from Copo Strategies, who does the, uh, you know, PR spin on what lawyers can know. And I think that, no, I would find that helpful. And I would, I, you know, as long as it's, as long as it's interesting, I think it's, I think it's funny what you said that that lawyers don't like to see their names in the papers on those kinds of cases, but that everybody reads them. You know, I think I think that's really really true, and I think that would expand into whether you do video or. or or email or audio. Yeah, Jim, I think I think Wayne's a great example. Uh, so if you do not subscribe to Wayne Pollock Coco Strategies newsletter, you definitely should because it's it's legit. I mean, and I send him an email about once a month whenever I get it, like, hey, another great newsletter. I mean, it really is, and it's long form, but it's it's fantastic, and he draws you in with his subject line. It's yep. a, he has a really good subject line every time, so you need to. Go through and just steal some of his subject lines. I'm sure, I don't know if he'll mind or not, but it, it, they're really freaking good. So I think you should do that. All right. So, John, I think we could talk to you all day about this, but I, <laughs> we, we all have work to do. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up. Before we do, I'm going to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group, get involved in there. We're, we're pushing 850. I'm not sure if we're at 850 yet. We've got a lot of people in there producing or uh, contributing and adding content. So you join there. Also, if you don't mind, give us a five-star review. If you're like Jonathan, you've been enjoying this from the beginning, and you've not given a five-star review, please do so. Take a couple minutes and do it now. Jimmy, what's your tip of the week, or hack of the week? Before I get to my hack of the week, I want to remind everyone that early bird pricing for MaxLawCon expires on the last day of February 2019. We, uh, extended it out a little bit because we were assembling our speaker list and our topics and that is done and the topics should be posted by the time you hear this topics will be posted i'm getting really excited and and i was about the speakers as the topics are coming in i was thinking to myself you know i hope tyson that while we do this conference if we keep doing it year after year i mean i'm going to be sitting in the front row taking notes because just for an example michael liner is going to do one on going all in on LinkedIn. And, and that's something that I've been tinkering around with. Kent and I have been working on LinkedIn. So I'm really excited about the topics as they're coming in. So make sure if you're thinking about joining us, the price goes up to its highest price after February 28th. So if you're thinking about coming, now's the time. 
Yeah. Real quick, though, Jimmy, I, I was talking to Michael before he decided to, to finally do that topic, and he's doing. He's actually going to do. He's testing it out. He's doing testing and tracking his testing. So whatever he presents at the conference is going to be okay. Here are the numbers. He's going to give you data to show you this is working or this is not working. Do this or don't do this. So it, that one alone is going to be really, really valuable. All right. So for my hack of the week, I was listening on the elliptical yesterday to a podcast with my guy that I really like, James Shramko from Australia. And he did a whole episode on green lists for your clients. Like which, which clients, you know, we all have our like red marks on clients and he did one on green marks. So in other words, thinking through and sitting there trying to figure out what are the, what are the signs that this person sitting across from me would be a good client. We, we've actually, Tyson and I have actually had episodes in the past where we talk about, you know, what are the signs of a crazy potential client? But he, he, James has spent some time thinking about what are the hallmarks of really good clients. And I think that's something that we could all benefit from. We, we've touched on that before at prior firm retreats, but I think I'm going to sit down and really look at the characteristics of what makes an ideal client and then seeing how we can spot that during the initial consult. Because one thing that I've been absolutely convinced of over the last two years is the way someone comes in as a client is the way they're going to be throughout the, the process. So if they're paying in the butt with their scheduling or paying the fee or whatever, they're probably going to be that way throughout the entire representation. So looking for those positive things, those signs, I think is a really good idea. Love it. Good stuff. All right, Jonathan, you know the routine. What's your tip or hack of the week? So this this is what I've been trying yet, uh, for the last month, and I recommend that your listeners try this. So give up the news for a month. So don't read it. Don't listen to it. Don't watch it. You know, I was a news junkie, so it took me a few days to get get out of the routine. But but I tell you, I just it freed up more time, so I'm not reading uh, the news, and it's you know I've got more mental clarity and and some of the angst that, that sort of has seeped in over the last year or so in the news is gone. It's, it's great. And I figure if it's, if it's important enough, my wife will tell me or someone else will tell me, but all the, sort of the daily negative chatter that's in the news, I don't know about it. And I feel great. You know, it's funny, Jonathan, I've, I've sort of been doing the same thing for a while. I, so Tim Ferriss has talked a long time about not, you know, watching the news and, and he's, he's, he's like, do like, listen to music, you know, don't, don't listen to talk radio, don't do any of that. And so for a while, I haven't really, I don't pay regular attention to the news. Uh, and if something big happens, I'll watch the news for that time. Otherwise, I don't really watch it. So I, I'm with you. I mean, your, your stress level goes down. I mean, if something big happens, you're going to find out. I think that's, that's a really, really good piece of advice. So, Jimmy, I'm going to bring it sort of back a little bit. I think we're always, you know, you know telling people about, products or apps or books. And I think what I'm, instead, today, what I'm going to tell you to do, here's my suggestion. Find one thing in your life that you should stop doing, whether it's using an app or watching the news or getting on Facebook for eight hours a day. Apparently, the average person spends an hour or 50 minutes on Facebook every single day, the average person. On the high end, it's like eight hours probably. I don't know what it is. But the average is 50 minutes. So think about like that 50 minutes is, that you can go work out, even if you work out 50 minutes a day, or, or if you read 50 minutes a day, that's, that's a lot. So pick one thing in your life that you can stop doing over the next week, and then hopefully that'll turn it over the next month, the next year. So 
just just pick one thing in your life to stop doing and then hopefully it'll, it'll help you out. So, all right, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. Hopefully got, people got a lot out of this episode. I think we got to dig deep on a couple things with you, and I think that that maybe will help a couple other people. So thanks so much for coming on, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.